Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. We are, uh, as Doug said, continuing in the life of Joseph this morning. And uh, thus far, I think we've had a couple of messages and everything has gone downhill for Joseph. And I think at the point where we're going to pick it up this morning in chapters uh, 40 and 41, uh, Joseph, I think, has already been in Egypt for about 10 years. And he's wasted the best years of his life, or that's the way it seemed, uh, and in, as a slave and then in prison for a crime uh, that he never committed. And this morning, I have the honor of uh, showing you how Joseph rises from rags to riches, so to speak, and what his secret of success is. And I think this is something that's going to speak to each one of our hearts as we deal with the present conditions in our lives. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 40 to 41. So Joseph here has been in prison for a while now. Uh, he was uh, falsely accused of a rape uh, by a, a woman who was a pretty important person. And so that false charge, that false accusation, has led him to be uh, in jail. And uh, we pick it up in chapter 40, verse 1, and it says, uh, Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh, that's the king of Egypt, became angry with these two officials, and he put them in a prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite uh, some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them, and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. These things must have had real impact. They're going, these are significant, and they can't figure out what the deal is. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And so the first guy is the cupbearer, and he goes like, you know, I had this dream, and there were like these, uh, this vine, and it had three branches and these lush grapes on it, and I squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup, and he drank from it. And uh, Joseph says, well, this is what the dream means. Uh, the three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And then Joseph puts in a little plug here. He says, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison and I did nothing to deserve it. So he goes, you pay me back for this, you know. I've helped you out here, you help me out when that time comes. Well, the baker is like, cool, he got an interpretation of his dream. So he goes, I had a dream too, and in my dream there were these three baskets of bread that I was carrying around and, um, on my head. And he says, the, these birds came and they started pecking away at the bread and eating the bread out of these baskets. And Joseph goes, oh, he says, uh, you know, those three baskets represent three days, and in three days, Pharaoh's going to bring you in, and he says, he's going to condemn you to death and hang you, and you're going to be impaled, and the birds are going to come and peck away at your flesh. It's typical Joseph, isn't it? Guy is no filter. He's just like a straight shooter. You know, he's a pure and hard guy, and he's going to tell him what it means. 
And uh, that's the way the chapter uh, ends. Okay, and then we pick it up and in O. It says here, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. Chapter hadn't ended yet. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. And then, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph never giving him another thought. And so Joseph languishes in prison. And then two more years go by. And we hit chapter 41. Two full years later, it doesn't just say two, two full years, two long years for Joseph. Pharaoh dreamed that he's standing on the bank of the Nile River. And he has this dream that out of the river, these seven cows come up, and they're fat cows, and they're healthy, and they're sleek. They're, they're awesome. But then these, three, uh, these seven skinny, ugly cows come up, and they devour the good cows. Pharaoh wakes up. You know, this dream is like vivid. You know, you and I dream maybe 30 to 40 times a night, they say. We, we remember hardly any of these dreams, maybe just the ones that hit us right before we wake up. But, you know, when we do remember a dream, you know, maybe we go like, whoa, what was that? And Pharaoh has, is very vivid to Pharaoh here. So he probably goes to the bathroom and then he goes back to bed. And then he has this other dream. And what happens here is there's these, out of the Nile come these seven heads of grain. And they're just real healthy and, and fine, ready to harvest. And then seven crummy ears that are weak and shabby and unhealthy come and devour those. And he's like, whoa, what's, what's this all about? And he goes to all of his like big shots and his sorcerers and his magicians, and he goes like, I had this dream, here's what it was. What does it mean? They're going, we don't know. We don't have a clue about that. And then, finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I am reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. He goes, I feel guilty about this, but i got to tell you. Some time ago... You were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he had predicted. So he goes like, wow, uh, there's a guy that might be able to help. And so Joseph is taken out of the prison, and he shaves, and he's brought in. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph says, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And then Pharaoh tells him about the two dreams. And Joseph now uh, responds. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I've described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. 
But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great that the prosperity, of fam- uh, the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. And as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Now this is where the story gets really interesting for me because Joseph is going, this is what's really going to happen in the future. Seven good years, but then seven terrible years that nobody's even going to remember the, the years of prosperity. And this is a point where I think Joseph is really tempted. Because you've got to understand, you know, what's going through his mind. It's been ten long years. And he's just been tipped off that Egypt is going down. Egypt is going to get wrecked. Okay, now think about what Joseph, the situation he finds himself in. Here's a guy that has truly been a victim of the system. I mean, if you think about his life's trajectory so far, uh, first of all, abused by his family, but then sold into slavery. Here he is taken into a country that really thrives on slave labor. He's oppressed and exploited by a discriminatory system. He's sexually harassed. He's falsely accused. He's wrongly incarcerated. And even the, the few friends that he's made have really betrayed him and let him down, right? So if there's anybody that could ever claim victim status, it's got to be Joseph. Now, just think about what's going through his mind right here, right? He has been totally exploited, taken advantage of. He's been a victim at all this time. And now he's hearing that the source of a lot of his oppression is going to be just taken down, right? So Egypt is going to be going through a famine. I can just imagine what Joseph's thinking. He's going, wow, their economy is just going to totally crash. It's going to be a time, I mean, famine, we're talking about an agrarian country here. There is going to be like a major depression right here. Everybody is like ruined, thrown out of work. And what's going to happen here? What happens in any kind of situation like this where it goes down? It's the leader of the country who gets the blame, right? And everybody's going to be pointing fingers at him, and there's going to be like food riots, and there's going to be like, probably, you know, Pharaoh is just, his job is going to be at stake right here. He's going to be on the run. And, and Joseph is going like, this thing's, this place is going down, you know, it's going to burn. And you know what? I think. He's going to be tempted to what uh, they call schadenfreude, right? Schadenfreude is a German term that means joy in others' pain. You've experienced this, I've experienced this. You know, it's like there's somebody that's really annoying, somebody that's been a problem for us, and then they have troubles, and we go, good. You know what I mean? We smile to ourselves. Every one of us, I don't care who you are, you've had this experience, I've had this experience, and there's just this kind of happiness when bad things happen to other people. It's ugly, isn't it? I mean, I go, why am I, I should be sympathizing. You know, but he's, you know, and just imagine how Joseph felt. If anybody had a right, so to speak, to schadenfreude, that was, uh, that was Joseph, you know, because... Pharaoh's got to come in. This country's got to come in. You know, that's the way he, he could easily be thinking. And, uh, you know, it's, you can see this all over the place right now, you know? Uh, the media delights in this kind of stuff, right? So, you know, you got this guy, and he's kind of influential, and he's going like, you know, I think this whole pandemic thing is, is overrated, 
and the whole mask thing is kind of like, and he's very skeptical about, you know, some guy who feels like I do, right? And he's like trumpeting this all over the place, and then he gets the virus. And the media goes, oh, yeah, how do you like that? Karma, you know, he's getting what's coming to him. And they gloat, or you tell, you know, here's some guy who's like a, a Christian leader, and he's been, you know, preaching repentance, and then he's found to have some sexual scandal or sexual sending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they just, oh, it's just delightful, and they just enjoy it so much. That's schadenfreude. And, and wouldn't you think that Joseph would be thinking this right now? You know, our fatal tendency, I think, is to see ourselves as victims. I mean, we, I think every one of us, first of all, I think we've all been victims to one extent. The fact that we're, there's other people around means that we're going to be victimized to one extent or another. But I think we tend to see ourselves as victims, maybe even identify ourselves as victims, and then we want to pass on the pain because we're feeling it and we want the other guy, the person who's victimized it, or other people to feel that same pain too. I just uh, finished reading this book called Hollywood Park by uh, Michael Jollett. Um, this is a terrific read. This guy's just a great writer. Uh, he was a kid that his, his mom uh, was in Synanon. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It was like a cult that claimed they could deliver you from drug addiction in the 90s or so. And... Uh, from the age of six months on, he was taken away from his mom because the cult said, hey, the kids all belong to the whole thing here. We don't have these possessive relationships. So he lived in an orphanage all by, you know, and he just went through that whole depersonalizing experience. And at the age of six, his mom escaped from the cult and took him with her and things got worse because his mom was somebody, her whole thing was, I'm a victim. And it was a constant thing living with her, her rehearsing how she had been exploited, how she had been used, how she was a victim. And he said one of the things that he started noticing as he was growing up, how quickly she turns from victim to prosecutor. She, she became a prosecutor. And what I mean, what he meant by that is she was pointing fingers and she was like uh, the blame thing. And she began to blame him. She said, you don't love me enough. You don't care for me. Your job is to take care of me now because I'm a victim. And here's a kid who's like, you know, a teenage kid, and he's supposed to be carrying this weight for her. Finally, it got to be so much he had to move out to live with his ex-con father who turned out to be a real godsend, a real blessing in his life. But that whole process, you know, we go through that. And Jesus warns us about that. Um, he says in uh, John chapter 20, this was on Easter night, he says that whole victim-prosecutor thing is a dangerous thing for us. Uh, he told his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. Literally, that means someone has wronged you and you forgive their sins. Those sins are sent away. But if you retain anyone's sins, they're retained. And that word retained means they're held on to. And so when you and I get into a position of that victim prosecutor and we start holding on to sins and we refuse to forgive, we begin to, to carry those sins around ourselves. We can't let them go. And this is a warning from Jesus right here. You know, it's that, 
it's that whole deal of like spiritual burdens that, that we unnecessarily carry. You know, people in our society shout and chant, no justice, no peace. Jesus' message was a little different. His message was no mercy, no peace. No mercy, no peace. You know, it reminded me of something, a colleague of mine that I taught with maybe 15, 20 years ago. And uh, this woman was just a very, you know, she only taught at our school for a couple of years, but the most, one of the most unhappy people I ever met. And I had the misfortune of having a lunch hour with her where, because our faculty is assigned to be in the cafeteria, uh, whatever period our lunch is, and we sat at the table there. And this woman was constantly complaining. I mean, she was so unhappy. And I remember on three occasions in one year, she told the same story. And this was a story she told. She said, you know what? Back when I was in high school, uh, there were some classes I wasn't doing well in, and I went to see the guidance counselor. And you know what the guidance counselor told me? I mean, she's saying this. She's going like, he told me, you know, I don't think you're going to amount to anything. Now, that's a terrible thing for a guidance counselor to say to a kid, right? But it was like she said, he told me, I'm never, you're, you're never going to amount to anything. And then she'd say, can you believe he said that? Can you believe he would say that? A guidance counselor saying that to me. And then I remember a few months later, she told that same story. And a few months later, she told that same story again. And it occurred to me, I thought, you know what? It was a terrible thing that guy did. But this is 30 years later. This woman's 45 years old. That happened 30 years ago, and she's still carrying that burden. And you know what? If you and I could see those spiritual burdens that people are carrying because they can't let go, because they've been victimized, and sometimes they're genuinely like Joseph, genuine victims, if they're still carrying that around, if we could see them in the Spirit, we'd see them just kind of walking like this, carrying these heavy things from the past that they can't let go. And Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive, you will carry heavy burdens that are going to just go with you like that. You don't want to live like that. No mercy, no peace. Now, Joseph chose the other way. Joseph didn't take that schadenfreude route. He didn't take, he didn't identify as a victim, and he didn't become a prosecutor and he refused to carry heavy burdens, and he chose mercy. And check out what he did. He said, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And I'm thinking, Joseph, don't bail this guy out. Don't join his re-election committee. What are you doing here? You know? And he goes like, then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. So he's going, i got a solution for you. I'm going to help you out. Here's a country that's treated me like dirt, and I'm going to solve their problems for them. Can you believe that? That's what we call mercy. That's treating people better than they deserve. You know what's interesting? Jesus made a promise about people like Joseph, people like hopefully you and me. He told his disciples, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. He goes, you know, if you can be the person who will treat people better than they deserve, guess what? You're going to be treated better than you deserve. And look what happens. Here's the proof. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. 
So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And then Joseph, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God's revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You'll be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. He goes like, you know what? I got a job for you, vice president. You know, here's a guy that just 24 hours ago, he's in prison. And now the king goes like, uh, you're going to be second in command. Everybody's going to have to listen to you. Wow. You know, uh, he put him in charge of the whole thing, and he even gave him a chariot. He goes like, you are going to have a vehicle, and when people, when you're riding down a road, there'll be no traffic jams. Why? Everybody's going to make room for your car. Whoa, this is the dream of my life, right? He says, they're just going to kneel down, and uh, Pharaoh put him in charge, and he says, you have absolute authority in this country. And he gave him a wife. He goes like, you're going to... You're going to go wife too, you know. So Pharaoh began to serve, I mean, uh, Joseph began to serve at the age of 30. And the, it turned out exactly what Joseph, as Joseph had said. They built storehouses and he built up their supplies of grain. And Joseph even got married. You know, this is terrific. Here's a guy who has spent his whole life just on his own. You know, kind of no family to speak of that would support him. And here he is in Egypt, and he's just been like on his own again. And all of a sudden, he has a family and two sons. You know, it's like God blessed the merciful, merciful Joseph. You know, what's interesting is that Joseph was a brilliant guy, but his brilliance would have accomplished nothing if he hadn't been merciful, right? If he had said, you know what, I'm going to bite off my nose to spite my face because of the way that I've been treated. I'm going to let this place burn because of the way of what's happened to me. He would have accomplished absolutely nothing. But the fact that he returned good for the evil that he felt, for the victimization that had gone uh, towards him, uh, blessed him and it made his brilliance actually shine and and be of use and be fruitful. What was the secret to Joseph's success? How did he ever accomplish this? This seems so impossible that you could take all that abuse and yet move in that merciful direction. And I want to tell you, here's what I think the secret of his success is. He defined himself not as a victim, but as someone connected to a wise and loving God. Not a victim, but someone who's connected. Check this out. Uh, how he, you could tell this already in chapter 40, when the, um, these guys came to him and they said, what does our dream mean? Joseph had said this, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you're going like, wait a minute, if it's God's business, then he should tell them to pray to God, right? But what does Joseph go? He goes, yeah, God can do it. Tell me. How do you talk like that? If you're connected, if God's like living with you and he's living in you, you can do that. He was connected. And the same way with uh, when he talked to the Pharaoh in chapter 41. It's beyond my power, to do, my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And then he waited for Pharaoh to, to tell him. You know, he was connected and he knew it. You know, there might be some of us in here today that were not connected. See, the way you connect with God is through faith, right? To have faith in Jesus, to put your trust in him. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you get that connection. 
And that's a connection that runs deeper than any other connection because he comes to live in you, he empowers you, and you become his, you become his son, you become his daughter, you're his kid. You're like, you ever see the gangster movies where they go, oh, you can't touch that guy, he's a made man? They would use that term. Like he's connected to the crime boss, so you keep your hands off him. We're made men, we're made women, right? If we know Jesus, if we walk with him, if we've come to God and say, God, I want to be yours. You know, he's just looking for desperate people. You know, and when we come to him, we're connected. But I think my other fear is that some of us are connected and we don't know it. We don't live like it. We think we're somehow apart, like we're not tapped into this. And the Bible makes it really clear that when anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. And it makes it clear that we come into an inheritance and that we've got a God now that walks with us every step of the way. He's with us and he's got our best interests at heart and he's looking out for us. He's, he was a connected guy. And so it's like we're carrying that burden and he goes, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll take care of it. I've got you. Now there's two blessings that come when you make the merciful choice. And I just want you to see them today because these are blessings for you and me. And the first one is forgetfulness. Now, some of you are saying, hey, I already major in forgetfulness, right? My wife tells me I'm really good at this. But I'll tell you what, there's one thing we have a hard time forgetting, right? And that's usually what people have done to us, the wrongs that have been done to us. Those are hard to lay down. Now, look at what uh, Joseph said. He named his older son Manasseh for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Forgetfulness. Um, I read this article by Mike Kerrigan. He's an Irishman, and he writes sometimes for uh, a lawyer, I think, uh, and he writes for the Wall Street Journal once in a while. And he said this, he was sitting in church one day, and they were praying the same prayer we prayed before, the Lord's Prayer, and there was a, there's a line in it that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He said it hit him like a ton of bricks. And then he said this, I grew up listening to relatives with Irish Alzheimer's where they, forget every, they forgot everything except their grudges. Does that sound a little familiar to you too? And then he says, in childhood when my mom urged me to forgive and forget, my dad would pull me aside and whisper, forgive, never forget. Terrible advice, terrible advice. Great advice if you want to carry heavy burdens, right? But the more tomorrows become today, the more I realize it isn't firm justice I want, but tender mercy I need. Isn't that a great line? Don't you realize that? You know, uh, the more tomorrows become today, the more I realize it isn't firm justice I want, but tender mercy I need. The forgiveness I show is the only forgiveness I can hope to receive. I've got work to do. I've got work to do, you know? I need that mercy. And you know what? The way to forget, the way to put those things aside, there's a first step I think we need to make. That's how it gets, we get it going with this forgetfulness thing, is to love the offender. We need to make that move. Jesus said, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. He never said, like your enemies. He never said, feel good about them. 
think good things about them? No. He just said, hey, treat them better than they deserve. If you can do good things for your enemy, do it. If you can't do that, be sure you speak well of them and to them. And if you can't do that, or in addition to that, pray for them. Not against them, but pray for them. Tough things, but just do them whether you feel like it or not. That's the first step. When you take that first step, that process of forgetting starts to happen. A process that hopefully will go on and on until you'll see that person and it won't bother you at all. You just go, hey. You know, and that, that healing can come. And then the second blessing is fruitfulness. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. You know what fruitfulness means? It means we're accomplishing good things for, for God, things that are going to last. We're making a difference in this world. We're making it a better place. I think we all want that, don't we? I mean, we're looking at a society that's full of anger, you know, and that anger comes from feeling like, oh, I'm a victim. You know, we've been taught from little on, hey, you're victims. You know, you're, our counselors have told us that. Our parents have told us that. Our teachers have told us that. Politicians have told us that. Activists have told us that. And that gets under our skin and it causes us to want to be prosecutors. And that anger goes on and on. And it's like if we could just learn to f- forget and forgive and then forget we would become fruitful and we could start that healing process to reverse that anger and be a real light in our society. You know, that was when Jesus said, if you forgive anyone's his sins, they're sent away, and if you retain them, they're held on to. He did that in this context. This was Easter night. He's appearing to his disciples for the first time, and he tells them, peace be with you. He's going, I've, I've made peace for you. I've paid the price. We're at peace. And then he says again, peace be with you. And then he said this, as the Father has sent me, I'm also sending you. I want you to be fruitful. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm empowering you now to be fruitful. But then he warned us, you're not going to be fruitful until you can forgive and send away that stuff in the past that's holding you back from becoming a person who looks to the future and looks to the needs of others and begins that healing process that we need so badly. The big step toward making a positive difference is not letting past offenses hold us back. And so this morning, there's a question that you and I all need to face today. And the question is this, do I see myself as a victim? Do I define myself in those terms? Yes, I've been victimized, maybe in little ways, maybe in big ways. But do I define myself as a victim and then put myself in a position where I'm falling prey to that need to be a prosecutor, to continue that that whole process and then carry those burdens? Or do I know that I'm connected? Do I know that I'm a son, a daughter of God and I've come into everything that he has? And as someone who's connected, I I can carry that mercy that he's already shown me and just invest it in the lives of others and bear fruit the way that he's called me to do it. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to you this morning, we first of all want to thank you for the mercy that you've shown us, how you've treated us better than we could ever possibly deserve. And Lord, in the midst of our individual situations this morning, I, I pray that we would connect with you and then to know that we have that connection, that full Uh, inheritance that 
that full measure of uh, sonship and daughtership that is uh, ours in Christ Jesus. And Lord, just help us to be a people who can forget and a people who can bear fruit. And I pray this in the, one, in the name of the one who, can, who is enabling us to do it, who loves us, who's connected to us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.